Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So uh, my great privilege and pleasure to introduce Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, uh, who are both DNA agents. Um, most New Zealanders know them as being the men that were responsible for the manhunt for Pablo Escobar, uh, as well as being uh, consultants to a certain TV show called Narcos. They're currently touring Australia and New Zealand at the moment with their show. They're going to be in Wellington this Wednesday on the 17th of July for a conversation on DNA Narcos at the Opera House in Wellington, so get your tickets at www.ticketmaster.co.nz. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. And Yavi, I love the fact that you've still got your seatbelt on, but you can take it off if you wish. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Or in a police right. car, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. You didn't even notice that. Yeah, no. yeah. so, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm guessing that neither of you have heard the, uh, the show before. It's very, shall we say, loose. Uh, what I do is I start off with the what, what I call the pop quiz hot shot round, uh -oh. dedicated to the world's what I think is the world's greatest cop movie, Speed, because it's got Keanu Reeves in it. Keanu Reeves is both Neo and John Wick, so it takes some beating. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what I do is I'm going to ask you some pop quiz questions. So okay. you both get the chance because I've, I've known you now for about 20 minutes and I can uh -huh. see the sense of humour to answer. So I'm going to go with you first, Javier. If you weren't the crime fighting duo that you were on TV, mm -hmm. which crime-fighting duo on TV would you be, do you think, you and Steve? <laughs> okay, uh, I would be uh, Pedro Pascal, yeah, <laughs> the guy who plays me yeah, in, nice, in yeah. Narcos. Yep. Uh, Steve, who would you be if you were if you were a crime-fighting duo on TV? Oh, it'd have to be Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and, uh, and maybe Don Johnson. Beautiful. Good Dwayne work. and Don, there you go. Good work, all right. Um, Steve, what's the last book that you've read, and it can't be your own either? Yeah, it's not out yet. Yeah, not released, <laughs> not, not released in New Zealand yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading a book by um, the guy that was the head of the Delta Force when we were in Colombia. Nice. General Jerry Boykin. Nice. So he's written a couple of books. I'm reading one of his books right now. Good week. So never you? give up. I'm reading one of uh, Isabel Vincent's book. It's uh, Dinner with Edward. It's a sort of a woman's type book, but it's very interesting. He is subtle and smooth, yeah. like you've been saying, Steve. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay, all right. So, Javier, describe Steve in five words or less. Okay. Organized and very organized and smart. Wow. wow. You could have you could have gone OCD. <laughs> but, no, that's, right. that's probably more accurate. <laughs> uh, Steve, describe Javier in five words or less. I can do it too. Man, slut. Well, there you go. Boom, done. That's it. That's <laughs> nice and easy. Um, but it's said with love. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Who's the criminal, Javier, who's the criminal apart from Pablo Escobar throughout history that you would have most liked to, to have apprehended? Uh, maybe uh, Al Capone. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. Notorious uh, gang. Yeah. yeah. Steve? I think uh, El Chapo, yeah. just because it's in the drug realm and, and yeah. uh, the violence, and you know, he's just like Pablo. He's killing all these innocent people for no reason. Exactly. What's one talent that you have that we haven't seen on Narcos TV show? So can either of you juggle or, you know, <laughs> do you? Sing. I uh, do professional singing once yeah. in a while. Uh, yeah, nice. Yeah. That's all good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to ask you for a demo. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, thank yeah, you. Yeah. 
I have no talent. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's yeah. why I was a cop. That's all right. And then finally, and it's always my go-to when I've got cops in the car, what is the best law enforcement movie slash TV show of all time? And you can't say Narcos because that's all given. So oh. what's your favorite cop movie of all time? Wow. Mm. That's a... I, you know, I, I know this is going to sound like it's a canned, easy answer, but one of my favorite shows was Miami Vice. There you go. That's easy. I'll I really that. Like that. Yep. <laughs> and he's even wearing socks, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What about for you, Hubby? Mine? Yeah, you're not going to believe it. Reno 911. Oh, I yeah, nice. That's good. That's good. He likes those short shorts they <laughs> yeah, wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so if we go back to Columbia when you guys were both the DA agents, and I'd said, hit TV series, you're going to be touring the world speaking, you're going to have packed theatres, you guys would have probably locked me up on the spot for position, right? Does that, does it all seem surreal now that you're still doing this? It does for me. It's, this is absolutely the last thing I ever expected would happen yeah. to us, you know, and, and I, mean, I know it's been reported in the media and certain forms of media, but, um, you know, we just didn't think anybody wanted to hear this story. Yeah. And that's the reason when, well, you know, as a police officer, you don't do things to try to get notoriety or no. fame out of it. You just you're just doing your job. And, uh, and a buddy of mine in Washington tried to introduce us to a couple of producers, and they had personal agendas, and they wanted to make political statements out of our story. And you know, that's yeah. not what it was all about. No. So we turned it down. And, and Javier and I, we discussed, and we just said, you know what, screw it. Nobody really wants to hear this. Yeah. And then uh, it was what two years later, JP, when yep. uh, when Eric Newman called, he's the creator of Narcos, executive producer, and we actually turned him down when he called. And he, he, he kind of took his breath away. He's like, what? Wait a minute. Do you know I'm calling from Hollywood? I'm a movie producer. I said, yeah, we know all that. And we explained to him. And, and he said, hey, if I come to Washington, would you just meet with me? Let me tell you what it is we want to, like to do. And if you say it's no, it's no. So we met with him, and, and uh, our personalities clicked. And we did our research on the guys. and Well-educated, come from Hollywood families, successful in the movie industry. And uh, when the personalities clicked and they had a, I mean, you know how cops are. We like to, oh, yeah, we like yeah. to pick on each other. Yeah. And I was picking on them, and they took it oh, the right good. way, and they picked back. That's good. So it, it just all kind of clicked for us, and, and uh, that was in March of 2013. Two months later, we signed contracts with Netflix. A month later, I retired. Um, a month after that, we were sitting in Hollywood with the writer's room. Boom. Harvey, and did remember, you think you'd be doing it 40 years later? No, of course <laughs> not. You know what? And there's a great little story when we're chasing uh, Pablo Escobar back then. I remember there was a colonel. It was late at, late at night. We we're just talking about the, what happened during the day. He said, oh, here, someone, one of those days, he said, somebody's going to make a movie. All of this is a colonel. No one cared. No one's <laughs> going to be watching this. So he was, you know what? He was right. And remember, Escobar was killed in 1993. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, because of uh, Narcos and uh, Netflix came up, that's what uh, got us here. That's all good. Does it seem strange to you, both having lived lots of your life, as my mum would say, in the shadows, uh, that people now want to have autographs from you and pictures with you and everything else. <laughs> I saw some footage of you, Steve, basically being mobbed. I think it was at one of the Narcos premieres. Javier, you must have been further down the line, I think. <laughs> yeah. People signing, asking, th throwing posters in your face and saying, can you sign this for me and yeah. everything else? And, and, and it is, and you know how it is. It's, uh, I was a cop for almost 38 years. I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. Um, and, this, and I was with DEA for 26 years. And when you work undercover, your your biggest ally is is maintaining your an anonymity. You mm -hmm. don't want people to know who you are. So this is complete 180 degrees opposite than what we're used to. And it did take some getting used to. Um, you know, we're not professional public speakers. We just get up and, and you'll see if you come to our show. It's uh, we're kind of idiot. I'm a, I'm the idiot of the two of us. Javier's yeah. the smart guy. 
Oh, there you go. Javier, does it seem strange to you? Because, I mean, the way that you're portrayed on the TV show is you're the sort of more, uh, shall we say, person in the shadows, the more sort of streetwise one out of the two of you. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. it seem strange for you to be in the in the limelight now or not? Yes, of course. I mean, we never expected, you know, I mean, uh, this. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, people want autographs, they want photos. I'm always like, why? <laughs> why yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. We're, not, uh, we're not that way. We're just retired cops and uh, worked uh, a case and uh, go back to Netflix, which is what uh, got us here. But I'm just, like I said, just, we're just ordinary guys. And uh, like I said, we... When you're a police officer, you know, federal agent police officer, the last thing you want is people to know what you do. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you know what, it's it's fun right now. I, I think it's fun. It's a retirement uh, job we have, and you got to, you know, and it's going to end. Yeah. So you got to write it out while you can. Do you get people coming up to you when you introduce yourself and saying, no, hang on. You're not having opinion because he's like <laughs> yeah. 30 years younger. I, 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 I like, get that yeah, a lot. Yeah. You know, and people, you know, when they say Javier Pena, they think it's Pedro Pascal out there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? In my younger days, I. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. Like I've seen so, pictures, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. In my younger um, days. What about you, Steve? Do you get that as well? People sort of saying, come out, come out to me and saying, uh, hang on, I just heard that you're, but you're like, yeah. Well, we make a joke out of, uh, and you'll see, actually, we do this in our show also. Yeah. We have a picture of Pedro and Boyd up on the screen. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, kind of kid with people. Hey, you thought that's who was coming here? Yeah, yeah. Murphy and Pena, right? Yeah. But uh, if actually, uh, you know, when I had hair, it was light colored, and and actually, <laughs> I hate to say this because I think Boyd's a good looking guy, but you know, we, there were some similarities. I don't know why. It just kind of worked out. When they cast the two characters for the show, did they show you beforehand who they were casting in, in your roles, or? No, or not? they they uh, when they cast. When they cast the the actors, they called us afterwards and said, "Hey, this guy who's gonna play you." We, we didn't have any input into that. So it's straight onto Google to do a Google yeah, search. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny though because they, um, the showrunner for season one is a guy named Chris Brancato who's got to be real good friends of ours. And uh, Chris, I, th- I think he did it to keep us interested. But he, every once in a while, he'd give me a phone call and say, "Hey, we're talking to this actor, this actor about playing your part." And one time when I went out to Hollywood by myself, Javier had gone down to Columbia with, uh, with some of the people. He gave me a book from one of the talent agencies in, in Hollywood, and they had. he said, hey, you know, give us a list of potential actors that could play Murphy and Pena. And, I mean, there was some – John Travolta's name was in there. Like, what the heck? You know, I, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, the guy that played the Lone Ranger, Army Hammer, was yeah, one yeah, of them. Yep, um, yep. The guy that was in that movie, uh, Battleship. Uh, where the aliens come down, yes, yeah, yeah. Taylor Kitsch. Yep. They talked to him. I think they talked to um, oh his his sister is an actress also. Um, he's a real famous actress now, actor now. Um, right. I can't think of his name. None of your wives or partners have asked for a trade in. <laughs> anyway, uh, so okay, guys, you go and catch Pablo Escobar. Can you remember what your initial thoughts were when you got the assignment? I mean, it sounds, in reality, it sounds really easy. Hey, I want you to go out and catch this guy. Mm-hmm. But look, let's be honest, that's one hell of a task. Where do you start with something like that? Where do you where do you actually start going, right, this is what we need to do to start off with? You know, what? when I got assigned the case in uh, 1988, I, I had not heard of Pablo Escobar. So I was in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was doing street level, you know, undercover buys, heroin, a lot of meth surveillances so when I get to Columbia I mean I had heard of him but you know when my boss says you're gonna be working this investigation 
All right. Uh, what do I need to do? The, the first thing, you know, I did just common sense type stuff. You start researching everything, you know, about the man. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Later on, I could tell you who his cousins were, who mm -hmm. his relatives, everybody, his organizations, the Sicarios. So you you indulge in learning as much as, as you can about the person you're going after. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't realize that's a real skill because... I think we're all from the generation where we didn't have the internet. Right. Uh, so you actually had to go out and do the legwork and the door knocks and right. find the informants right. and everything and else. And go back to the old files, which were all read. Yep. There was nothing on computer. So a lot of files. And we had a lot of help, too. A lot of analysts, you know, but uh, you, you got to start at uh, talking to, you know, informants, to the to, to the, your police buddies. Try to learn as much as you can, mm -hmm. which is what helped. You know, one thing, Javier won't tell you this, but... Um, he's the smart one of, our, of the two of us. His, he's got a brain. I am very organized, but that's how I get things done. Javier's brain is like an encyclopedia. So when we would, when the activities would happen, and we're writing out teletypes to Washington, and you know, and sending teletypes all around the world for potential actions, um, <clears throat> you had to do the background information as to why that was important, and why did, why is the activity that just took place, or that you're asking to take place, what's the benefit, what's the importance of that? And I could just, Javier, what's the relationship? And he could rattle that stuff yeah, off the top I, of his brain. It's just amazing. He's got an unbelievable memory. I knew memory. a lot of it. It just it stuck with me. And uh, but uh, you know, and uh, it's something that you were to you you had to study. You had to yeah. look at it. And uh, you know, and you know what my uh, uh, my uh, recollection. I tell people I, I used to have steno pads. Remember the old oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 round yeah, yeah. steno pads. After I left Columbia, I had 200 of them. So every day I would write on them all the information intelligence coming up. Now, for a lot of people in New Zealand, the only yardstick for drugs and Miami and Columbia and everything else in the 80s was Miami Vice. I've got to be honest with you. It was, I think it was on a Wednesday night. It would come out and everybody would go, man, that lifestyle is just ridiculous. Can they seriously be importing that much drugs into America? And... Uh, a Crockett and Tubbs really doing what the American <laughs> how far from the truth was that in the, in the sort of mid 80s in well, Miami the the drug the, the importation of cocaine with South Florida being inundated with cocaine that's all true yeah now the the flashy cars that they're driving and the the position you know the the decisions they're making which are against what your commanders would want you to do exactly that's all Hollywood yeah. but man that made for an exciting show oh uh, there you're not wrong yeah so, <laughs> so that's a no to designer clothes and sports cars yeah. oh hello yeah I'm still waiting on that yeah part. yeah what's show show business's fascination with coke there's Tim Allen there's Robin Williams there's Robert Downey Jr Whitney Houston all those people. Now, everybody knows, every cop knows what Coke does to you. Anybody who's got half a brain knows what Coke does to you. So why do, and it seems to be really successful entertainers uh, in particular, maybe they get spotlighted more than most, but why do you think they still do it? Why do you think people still do cocaine? I honestly don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, if DEA at one point, I thought this was one of the best things they ever did. They went out and they... To Columbia, and they went to a jungle lab, and they got some of the campesinos out there that work in the labs, and they didn't arrest them, but they they filmed them creating cocaine, making cocaine. Yeah. And when you see the first the first thing they do is put plastic down and 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 shore it up with wood poles. They call it a pozo pit. They pour all the coca leaves in there, and then they pour gasoline over top yeah. of it. And these people get in there in their bare feet and stomp around. That's they're agitating the leaves to get the cocaine alkaloid out of the leaves. 
Well, then, you know, the next steps, you're, you're using ether, you're using acetone, uh, hydrochloric acid, all these caustic chemicals. You know, and, and it's funny because in Narcos, uh, in the first season, that one guy, Cockroach, was his nickname. He talks about how this is, it's, uh, this is all natural yeah. because it comes from the coca leaf. Well, if people saw what they were really putting in their bodies, to, I mean, holy cow, this, this stuff, you'd take a drink of that stuff, it'd kill you. Yeah, exactly right. And Javier, is it yeah. true that apparently you saw a sign at one of the clandestine labs or you read a sign that basically where Pablo Escobar had said to the scientists there, if we catch you using the product, we will shoot you? Yes, he had that sign at all the labs that they owned because there'd be about 100 people yeah. working at this labs. It'd be like a... It's it was a it was a little town, you know. Everybody would have shifts, be a cafeteria, uh, you know, break area, and at every at every lab, because you imagine all the cocaine that's being produced, yeah. it's going to be very simple for somebody to, you know, do a couple of hits or yeah. take some home. So he had people watching, and yeah, that that to me is a very very uh, important right message. Uh, if I catch you, I'm going to kill you. So he didn't want their people to use it but he wants everybody else in the world to be using it. Not wrong. So you arrive in Colombia and people begin to tell you about clandestine runways and planes with 500 kgs with a coke on board, labs in the jungles etc etc. What is running through your initial thoughts? Because like you both have said you're both basically um, Eric street cops, you've become DEA agents. It's just like holy crud what have we opened up here or? <laughs> well for me so I'd been a uniform cop for 12 years before yep. I joined DEA. Um, the most cocaine I'd ever seen at one time in 12 years was two ounces. The first <laughs> case in 19, I got to Miami in 1987. In 1988, I went with some other undercover guys, and we went to the Turks and Caicos Islands. We picked up 400 kilos. Nice. So I went from two ounces to 880 pounds of coke. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was shocking. Yeah. Uh, it was unbelievable. But but down in Colombia. I mean, the, you know, you got to determine what the person's motivation is. What has he got to gain out of it when they want to give you information? Most of them wanted money. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and, have you... and as for me, I started in Austin, Texas, where I was buying ounces of meth, uh, heroin. You know, so uh, you know, I was looking, I was seeing the street side of the dope use. Yeah. You know, the users, the guy who's selling a couple of ounces. So. When I went to Colombia, you know, I got to see the, like the major league, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. major league uh, players there. So. Now, for his humble beginnings, Pablo went on to cause lots of people, lots of headaches. How does somebody come to get such an iron grip on the worldwide production of cocaine? Because it's not something that happens by chance, is it? Although, I mean, no. he got lucky in certain places, but... Yeah, that's a great question. You know what? And it was his savvy. You know that street smart, that business uh, sense uh, that he had, and then I think my personal opinion is the Sicarios. You know the people he had who who loved him and they would kill uh, for him, and their allegiance was to Pablo Escobar because of the money he gave them. But again, that to me was that and then he had some people that were working for him that were very smart you know the the distribution end of it you know the connections to you remember general noriega yeah. in panama mm -hmm. mexicans with amado carrillo fuentes the caribbean so they developed these connections and then they were the main suppliers so now you've cornered the world you've cornered the caribbean market right You've cornered the Mexico market, so what else is there? You know, I mean, then uh, the you know the, then the European connections would come in. So that's how he got to be so powerful. 
and because I'm a cop and I like to do my background work, I think I read somewhere that you said at some one particular stage, Pablo had up to sort of five to six hundred Sicario running around, basically knocking people off however he yeah, wanted. Yeah, five, yeah, we always say about five hundred. We attributed uh, to him, and uh, this guy's uh, will do anything for Pablo Escobar. And Pablo Escobar, his his main motto was. If you don't do what I say, I'm gonna kill you yeah. and mm-hmm. kill your family. Now, you, Javier, you said that Pablo was the like the CEO of the cartel, and that Gustavo and yeah. forgive my pronunciation if it's Gustavo wrong. Gustavo Gaviria. Yep, his cousin was the distribution slash chief operating officer. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, do you think he was really the brains behind the organization, or was he just but, the organizer? Pablo was the CEO. He's the boss, right? Yep. He's the boss. He's the one. All right. Uh, How's the connections with Mexico coming along? So it was then Gustavo Gaviria who would send people to negotiate. Uh, Gustavo Gaviria was negotiating with, in Panama with Noriega. But again, you know, Pablo was the boss. He, he didn't really, he knew what he was doing, but he would send people to do his bidding for him. Mm-hmm. And as you both said before, Pablo's business model was if you get in the way or you don't do what I ask, I'm gonna, you're gonna be killed, uh, or one of his sicarios would kill you. Was the fact that he was never betrayed or double-crossed just due to the, his brutal nature, the size of his network, or just the fact that it was his cartel was just too big? I think it's a combination of all the factors because the, the brutality scared people into either cooperating or keeping their mouth shut. Um, but also there were people that were loyal to him because he did go in and he built housing for people that mm-hmm. lived on the corner, you know, on the edge of a trash dump. He built clinics, he built soccer fields, he gave money away, he gave food away, and all those are very good things to do. But when he needed new Sicarios, he went right back to that barrio. Yeah. Those people, I mean, he might say, I need 100 guys to come and, and work for Pablo. And the sad thing was maybe 400 would step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they would tell you right out. I've interviewed a young Sicario. He says, hey, I'll kill for Pablo. I'll die for Pablo. Yeah. Now, and if you look at the people that he was kidnapping, that's another smart thing he was doing. He was kidnapping journalists, mm-hmm. reporters, politicians, mayors, people of importance that, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't go back and tell the government this is what I want. Mm-hmm. So he was smart in that. It wasn't just a regular mope he was kidnapped. It was just very influential people. Which mm-hmm. is one of the ways he influenced a lot of the judges' families, wasn't it, by yes. saying, hey, look, here's right. your family's route to and from school every day. Right, yeah. Showing uh, pictures of them. Yeah. Now, he was a murderer, a narco-terrorist, a drug smuggler, amongst other things. But, yeah, there seems to be this constant Robin Hood angle um, that where he pushed himself, he was said he was aligning himself with the ambitions of his countrymen, but there's no rationale or ideology behind it. Um, was it his narcissism, his pride, his ego, a front, a smokescreen, or just D, all of the above, that made him push this Robin Hood angle? Or the fact that he thought he was going to... I mean, we, saw, we all saw the failed attempt to get into politics... But do you think it was just his ego, basically? He honestly thought at some stage he was either going to become the president or he was going to become, like, the people's champion outside of his cartel area? Well, he wanted... He, he didn't want to be president. Yeah. I mean, he his mind was he was king. Yeah. Know, and he wanted to be king of everything. Um, and I think you're right when you say D. But this, when you, you talk about this Robin Hood personality, he did give to that particular barrio. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy that's worth not millions of dollars. We're talking about a multi-billionaire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, was he given like a real Robin Hood? No, because 
he, what he did, the reason he did that, he built those houses and the clinics and everything for those people was because he manipulated those people's minds to the point where they were willing to come and fight for Pablo and die for Pablo. Yeah. So we don't call him Robin, we call him a master manipulator. Well, not wrong either. And am I correct in, and Javier, you might be the man to answer this, two and a half thousand dollars a month on rubber bands, that's how much money he had? <laughs> yep, yep, it was uh, bundles of cash at that time. He didn't want any banking accounts. He wanted cash on the barrels. So a lot of cash was coming back to Colombia. He loved bulk cash. Yeah. At the height of your investigation, roughly, how many informants were you running between the two of you, do you think? Uh, I don't know. We were running, uh, I mean, anywhere from, but good ones, we yeah. had about five or eight that were good. Yeah. I always remember that, you know, informants... Once we corroborated their information, once we knew they were worth, they were worth it, and and these people were worth it, given a lot of information. However, you know, a lot of them got killed in the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, we we needed that human information. You know, a funny thing was we'd have informants that would come into the embassy, and they're you know, very poor, poor people and uh, just trying to make a buck. And they had worked in a cocaine lab and they wanted to give up the location for money. Well, we take them out in an airplane or helicopter. They'd never been in, a in the air. They couldn't find it from the air. No. <laughs> yeah. And you're in a jungle environment, so it's not like you're driving down the road. And no. You know. So the bribery and corruption in Colombia uh, was always something that you were working against. And I'm going to mention them because this is what law officers do. But Enrique Kiki Camarero, have I got his name right? Camarena. Yeah. Um, was obviously the prime example of what happens when things go dreadfully wrong. Mm -hmm. How did you manage to safeguard yourself against that when you were in Colombia? You know what, at the beginning we had some corrupt police officers, but we hadn't realized that Pablo had gotten to their families. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't warn me that they're coming after your you know, your mom, your dad are going to be killed. And, you know, what we made that mistake because they were from Medellin. Mm -hmm. So later when we found out, we, we handpicked our guys all from Bogota. And it was guys that we were working with before. We had a an intel base called the Heen, and Steve and I were the main liaison there. So we, you know, we were picking guys we knew that were, that were not corruptible. And, and that's one of the things that helped us. Mm. There are countless numbers of barbaric acts conducted by Pablo Escobar and his cartel. Uh, the Avianca bombing, the car bombings, etc. Do you think that if Pablo hadn't have done this, he wouldn't have got the attention he got from the United States? Or do you think it was only a matter of time, just because of the amount of drugs and money that he had? Well, in, in South Florida, they realized that uh, there, was, there was potential for the Florida becoming a narco state because of the all the drug-tainted money that was there. And, yep. and if you, I mean, you go there now. We were just there for a conference a few months ago, and the, the big high-rise, fancy condo buildings right on Biscayne Bay, they're all still there. You know, you, um, when I was there in 87, you still heard the stories about drug dealers coming in and buying a brand-new Rolls-Royce or Bentley or whatever and hand over a, ca a bag full of cash. Yep. You know, so the IRS enacted laws to combat that. But um, um, I think the United States was going to get involved because we were the primary consumer and that's a sad thing to say about your own country but that's the truth yeah so you find pablo in one of his apartments after he calls his son and he tries to escape via a rooftop everybody claims responsibility for the shot mm -hmm. uh which is one of those things mm -hmm. uh steve you were there obviously um 
and there's even the beloved conspiracy theorist, God bless them, you know, Pablo shot himself. Yeah. Do we want to end this BS myth right now? Because I've, I've read in an interview what you've said about this, Steve, so I think it's probably quite good if people hear this from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yep. Yeah, so first of all, the, the first fallacy of that whole thing is I was not there. Oh, there you go. I was yeah. back at the base. Yeah. And that's narco. That's Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually rode out after I was in the colonel's office when Pablo was killed. I rode out to the site with Colonel Martinez. Yeah. Just so happens my camera was the only camera that worked. This is the reason we have all the photos that we use in our show now. Yeah. Um, but um, the his son now was promoting this theory that his dad committed suicide because he always said, you know, they'll never take me alive. The you know the Hollywood yeah. statement. Yeah. And he said, you see this 9 millimeter? it has 13 rounds, 12 for them, one for me. And all this is all BS. Yeah. None of this is true. Yeah. Because when I was a uniform cop, I was trained to work in murders and suicide, and I've worked those kind of cases. And we all know that when you fire a weapon, the bullet comes out, bits of gunpowder yeah. fly out, and they don't travel far, but they do travel a certain distance, and then they lose their velocity and fall to the ground. Well, if, if you could, first of all, get your hand in the right position at arm's length to hold a gun and shoot yourself in the ear, it would be miraculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a one in a, in a gazillion shot. Yeah. But it's certainly, it's still at that distance, and that's what, four feet? You'd still have powder burns on the side of your face. Exactly. Now, the, my photographs have been published all over the Internet, so you can go take a look at it. Anybody can take a look at it. We don't put them out there. People take pictures at our shows, and they put them out there. If you find powder burns on the side of his head, call me. Because I've never found them yet. No worries. Right. Yavia, you've said that you, if you had the chance, and they said to you, I think I saw an interview where they said if you had Pablo alive or dead, that you would have chosen dead. How disappointed were you not to have been there when he was finally caught? You know what? I was I was disappointed, of course. You know, I mean, I started in 88. But you know what? I'm glad Steve was there because he had the camera, and I, yep. I never had a camera. But you know what? In the end, uh, it, it was a victory for everybody. Yes, of yep. course. I wish I would have been there. And I tried to fight the ambassador when he ordered me to go to Miami because mm-hmm. there was an informant who only wanted to see me and give me information on Escobar. I told the ambassador, sir, we were close to him. The ambassador ordered me out. Go talk to the informant. That's why I was not there. But in the end, I, you know what? It, it was a victory for for everybody, especially the Colombian National Police yep. and the Colombian people. Not wrong. Now, as my one of my old sergeants would say, you guys are the rock stars when it comes to the Escobar investigation, and you credit the Colombian police and intel analysts, etc., and a number of interviews that you do. So full credit to you there, because lots of people don't, as you and I both know. How many people do you think worked with you on what you guys would call the assist to actually make it happen? Mm. Roughly off the top of your head. Well, in Colombia, honestly, it wasn't that many to be honest with you. <laughs> there was uh, there was one guy, an ATF agent, was assigned to us in Bogota, JJ yeah. Ballesteros. Yeah, he was he went to Medellin. I mean, I went up there right after Pablo was killed, but. JJ actually started living in Medellin base before I did. Yeah. So he and Javier were up there initially, and I was running things in the embassy. Um, as far as DEA personnel, y'all, the guys were always there ready to back you up, whatever you needed. But, I mean, there's only one or two that were really intricately involved in anything. And the intel analysts, we had two analysts assigned to us, mm-hmm. Vi and Lynn. And then uh, um, Barry Abbott from headquarters. Yeah. So there, there was a handful of people in headquarters. Yeah, he's got a memory like a sponge, hasn't he? he he's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a sweet smack cop there, yeah. So it, it, um, we try to give credit to everybody because it's, you know, it's just the right thing to do. And, yeah. and the truth is we couldn't have done it without him. Yeah. But um, it, was, it was like a collateral duty for most people. Yeah. 
here's a question for you, Javier. What's the most ingenious smuggling method you've ever seen for cocaine? For cocaine? Uh, you know what? Uh, I saw some of them inside wooden pallets where they hollowed out the, the wood and then they covered back up with, uh, with wood and it'd be pallets. And who would even think of, you know, the other one I saw was the I-beams on those tractor trailers where they were hiding the cocaine inside the steel bars of a tractor trailer. How would you ever detect uh, that's that That's crazy. All right. So that's enough on the real life stuff. Now the questions from the fans about the TV show. Here All, we right. Go. All right. So, uh, Steve, you said you tried to do something with a couple of people in Hollywood and they came up with some wacko ideas. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the last wacko idea I saw from Hollywood, and I know you guys will be familiar with this, it's my father's favorite movie of all time, The Wild Bunch. They were going to remake The Wild Bunch, but it was going to be about Will Smith and some DEA agents down in South America. Are we talking that wacky as an idea for some of the ideas that you had for Narcos or not? I've never seen The Wild Bunch, I don't know. Oh, then goodness <laughs> me. Yeah, I've seen The Wild, seen the wild Bunch, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know what a stretch that is. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So how wacky were some of the ideas that Hollywood were pitching to you about? Well, so we had an opportunity to indict the president of Haiti, Javier and I did. And uh, we're ready to go to the grand jury, and we got a call from Washington saying, "Stand down, you're not doing it." <laughs> what what this what the first producer wanted to do? He was an extreme right wing, very conservative. He was, if you go out to where the Tea Party was, he's farther out than them on the yep. right side. He wanted to take that story and make a political statement against Bill Clinton, who was president back then. Mm-hmm. The other guy, uh, I honestly don't know. He had a book that he had produced. Uh, he wanted me to buy his book, and it was, I mean, it was thick. It was like a 500-page book. And I like to read, but not like that. <laughs> I like pictures, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I bought the book, and, I, and I, it was to teach me about Hollywood. I still don't know meaning more about Hollywood than before I read the book. So I don't know what the guy wanted, but it's, it just wasn't. All we want to do is tell the truth. Yeah. Now, the, Javier, this one's from me. Okay. My wife said, I, you can't ask him that. And I'm like, yeah, I can. He's a cop. He'll get this. Yeah. So in the first two scenes of Narcos, you are described as an asshole or called cool <laughs> one. Right? Why did you think when you first saw the first episode, and in less than five minutes, they've called you an asshole twice? You know what? I was proud of that because <laughs> yeah. uh, it was true. I had a lot of problems yeah. with uh, some of the CIA people uh, yeah. that were there because we knew what was going on. They did not, yeah. and they would try to tell you what to do. So, yeah, I was proud of that one. So, right, yes. From one asshole to another, then yep. respect. <laughs> uh, and just so that Steve doesn't get off the hook, because we know this is what cops did, IndieWire, Liz Miller said of the first Narco series, an unlikable character, no matter how the circum- no matter the circumstances, remains an unlikable character. But an unlikable man trumps a bland man whose position of authority appears to be his only interesting character that no matter how much he voiceovers, he utters, he still remains bland. When you read criticism like that, do you just go, whatever? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. You're not you, going to please anybody, are you? That's right. And, and I, you know what? I used to try to find as much as I could and read about it, see what people were saying. And, and even on our websites, on our social media sites, we occasionally get messages, you know, well, yeah. I hope you die like Pablo and things yeah. like that. So you yeah. don't read it. Or if you do, you just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, exactly. What did your families think when they saw, one, who was playing you on the TV series, and two, what you, what you supposedly did to catch Pablo Escobar? Did like, <laughs> I could, like, I could imagine sitting there on the side of the couch and... Maybe some, your wife turns around to you, Javier, and goes, yeah, no. did you really do that, Javier? Yeah, yeah. My, my friends who knew me, who I grew up with, uh, 
I had a great one. Uh, I mean, great little stories that I've heard. When I saw it, man, I believed everything. And towards the very end, where you and your dad are working at the ranch, you never worked at the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. But, you know, my, my friends, if it's bragging rights, hey, yeah. yeah, hey, I did that. Look at that, man. Yeah, yeah. that's good. You want any trouble? I, you know, I'll, I'll kill you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what about you? Do you get any sideways looks from your wife where basically she's like, Steve, did you really do that? Oh, no, hang on. She probably would have gone, as most wives do, Stephen. Yeah, really it's exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. right. Yeah. And she still calls me that when I'm in trouble, which yeah. is pretty much all the time. Now, um, from her, no, but my two sons, uh, so I, they're from my first marriage. Yeah. And uh, when, the, when the show came out, my oldest son, he lives in Atlanta, he called me. He's like, Dad, you didn't tell me about all the stuff you did down there. And I said, well, you know, son, keep in mind, a lot of that's Hollywood. He's like, even if it is... Yeah, there's got to be a lot of truth in there. You didn't tell us about all this. Like, well, you know, you don't tell your family. You don't no, want to worry your family. Exactly. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, there is obviously lots of creative license in television. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the biggest moments in series one and season two, where you both both of you went, "What the? Hang on for a second. That kind of <laughs> that doesn't ring true. Is there a moment there where you sort of went, "Oh, hang on." For me, it was, uh, I think at the end of season one, it is, they show that I, they portray me as being kidnapped. Yeah. I've never been kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit smarter than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and you'd have to put up with them as well, Javier, wouldn't you? So, uh, yeah. so, what was it for you, Javier? What was the big yeah, thing for you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think there was one scene where I'm shooting someone from a, you know, that, that didn't happen. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we were there as... We, we did a lot of operations, but as far as uh, on, our, our, on our own, yep. working yeah. on our own, that never happened. We were always with the Columbia National Police. The cat. Yeah. Did the cat really happen? And you've told me before, but how many times did you get asked about the cat? You know, that was, uh, I guess, our first year of really doing, getting busy doing this, yeah. these shows. That was the most frequently asked question we had, but only season one had come out, so that yep. people didn't have seasons two and three to ask questions about. But uh, we did have a cat named Puff, and we had a really hard time getting Puff into the country because of the legal the legalities of the paperwork, which we had our ducks in a row. It was the, it was the jerks at the airport that were giving us a hard time. And Puff did die in Columbia, but Puff was old. He had a heart attack. Right. The Sicarios didn't break in and hang him. You've ruined it now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you guys meet Eric Newman, and you stipulate that the one condition, the absolutely unbuyable condition for you guys is that you... You don't want to glorify Pablo Escobar right. and his cartel. Was that a real risk? Were there, did you guys get some approaches from Hollywood basically wanting to make him appear like a saint, like we sometimes do with Bonnie and Clyde and Al Capone? I mean, as history seems to get longer and longer, our memories seem to get a bit blank. I mean, Bonnie and Clyde weren't particularly nice people, let's be honest. Right. Um, was that a real risk for you with Pablo Escobar? I think so. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we like you said, you know, Escobar killed a lot of people. But and if you look at some of the narcotics shows out there, look at Scarface. Yeah. Scarface is one of the, I guess, best right scene uh, mm-hmm. drug show. Because we ask people how many have watched, and get like ninety five percent have watched Scarface. Yeah. You know, so we just didn't want them to be glorified, and I don't think they did. I think they did a good job in just you know. Uh, portraying him and uh, as as a bad guy, and that's one of the things that you know you read about is that uh, Narcos is critically acclaimed in a good way because they try to display the violence associated with Pablo Escobar. Now, Javier is Steve. This is a question from a viewer as well. Is Steve in real life as Zen, like as he sounds or appears in his voiceovers in the TV show? 
Is he that type of, you know, you get that, and then suddenly an honest man blinked type sort of monologue. Is he of that course, generic? Of course, of course, yeah. Very right. professional. There's, there's your first free beer for the night then, yep, okay. Uh, How do you consult for a show like Narcos? How do you do it? Do you just basically see the scripts and go, well, no, that's not the way we do that, or I've got friends of mine who are Navy SEALs and they act as consultants and they'll say, look, we'd never hold our weapons that way and we certainly wouldn't clear a room that way. Yeah. Is that how you consult? or? Well, it's basically they. we would go to Hollywood once a year, Harvey and I'd go out there together and sit down with the writers for a whole week and just tell every story we could remember. And then yeah. they would ask a million questions and then we go home and we had a lot of conference calls and a lot of emails. You know, they'd say, okay, Describe the vehicles that you drove compared to the vehicles that the bad guys drove. Yep. You know, and, and we we gave as many, many details as we could. But um, then they would, when they would write a script, they would email it to both of us, and we'd read it. And of course, my wife was portrayed in the show, so she, I gave her the script. She read it too. Well, season two, it shows her taking the baby and moving back to Miami. My wife never left. No. And so she's reading the script, and and I was I was in the house doing something. And she comes in shaking it at me. She's like, did you read this crap? Did you read this crap? You know, that's not true. And I'm thinking, baby, I didn't write the stupid thing. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you've got two, not one as well. So That's yeah. right. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, now, your stage show, my boss says, great stories, lots of humor uh, and laughs. And they poke what we call the borax at one another here quite a bit, which means you give one another quite a bit of jip. Um, apparently, Steve, you even used an audience once to sing happy birthday to your wife. Happy anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you honestly think that the stage show would get the reaction it, it's getting? Or did you did no. you think when you first turned up, oh wow, if there's seven people here, we'll be lucky? Because I've yeah. seen some of your theater pictures and they're just thousands of people there. It's phenomenal. Yeah. You know what, uh, I'll go for it. When, when the series came out, I told Steve, I said, no one's gonna watch it. I, I thought, yeah. no, it's, it's uh, they're not gonna have a following. You know, it's over. We've only got, you know, to do 10 shows. And then all of a sudden, it was re-up for another season, and uh, Steve, tell him the story about the CEO, right, from Netflix? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, we are out in Hollywood one time, and, and um, it was for the premiere season, too. And so they invited us out, and I mean, they gave us wine and dined us and limos and, you know, really treated us very well. And so we went to the after party, and the number two for Netflix was there. And uh, I won't tell you his name, yeah, but you yeah, can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I asked him, I said, hey, let me ask you, because Netflix is unbelievably secretive. Mm. And that's true. And, and I said, so how popular is Narcos? He's like, ah, oh, you know, I can't talk about that. So I waited until I had a few more drinks. You know, <laughs> and he came back up and he says, all right, have you ever heard of the show um, oh, uh, not, about not, the politicians? Uh, Stacy. Uh, oh, House of Cards. Yeah. House of he said, have you ever heard of the show House of Cards? I said, yeah. He said, That's, that was our number one show of all time. I said, yeah, I've heard that. And he said, Narcos is knocking on the door. Boom, there you go. So, and he told me, he said he saw one episode and he ordered 10 more. Yep. That's great. <laughs> or just one that episode. is awesome. Yeah. Um, so you told me that you're doing roughly about 70, 75 shows a year. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. All around the world, because I've seen you up in Belfast and the mm -hmm. UK and everywhere else. After you finished in Australia and New Zealand, whereabouts do you go from there? I gotta look at the calendar. No, look, I, don't got know. The calendars. I go home. <laughs> I go home to Texas. We, we got some minor. I mean, we got what uh, Vegas. We got one yeah, in we Vegas. Got, we got Vegas, yeah. Austin, Minneapolis, Green Bay, New York City, San Diego, Los Angeles. Two in Los Angeles, Orlando, West Virginia, Dallas, San Francisco, New York City. That's good to see that you guys are taking it easy in your retirement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Anything in color on this calendar is us traveling. That's good. Yeah. Uh, what does a day off look like for you then? What, what, is, what, 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 what does a day off look for you like? 
What oh, do you do? I enjoy off? being at home. I uh, go out. I, you know, <laughs> starting to work out again. Yeah. Hang out with some retired friends. Have a couple of glasses of wine, and just uh, just do nothing. Yeah. I do not want to travel. <laughs> uh, I can understand that. Steve. You know, when I go home, my wife has a honeydew list like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> she works my butt off, so I love getting back on the road. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Now you guys had a cameo in series two, where you right. clink your glasses at the end and. Lots of people. There's, I've seen all sorts of theories. I'm sure that was them. That's the real them and everything else. Were you hesitant to do that scene, or do you think, hey, this would be a bit of a good laugh to be in it? Oh, I was, I was kind of happy to do yeah, it. Uh, it yeah, it was fun. I mean, it's, uh, it just uh, memorializes us in yep. being in that, so I, I thought I, it was great. I noticed they didn't give you a speaking part, though. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It's yeah, my yeah, accent. I don't, or what? I don't know, yeah. <laughs> um, so, obviously, you've got um, Manhunters. The book coming out, yes. uh, which comes out in New Zealand in November. Uh, I try to get a copy, but no, nobody's releasing it until November, December over here. Um, what else is the future bringing for the two of you? Are you gonna, have you got more books coming, or have you got more shows? Do you think, or are you just going to take it day by day? You want to go? Or you you want go me? ahead. Yeah. So um, that's the only book we have planned, um, but we're working on some other projects. So. One of the problems we're facing in the United States is counterfeit medications coming into the country that are mm -hmm. laced with fentanyl. So we're working with a group called Partnership for Safe Medicines, and we've been on Capitol Hill twice with them, the first time in front of the House and the second time in front of the Senate, trying to bring awareness to the problem. Because in the United States, you got states that are trying to uh, enact legislation that would allow foreign pharmacies to fill U.S. written prescriptions. Yep. Well, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah, exactly. So yep. that's, that's one project. We're working on another uh, potential tele we're actually working on four potential television series right now the first one is called the lost clipper uh, it involves the murder and disappearance of 15 americans in 1938 in micronesia mm -hmm. but now we've tied it into the disappearance of amelia earhart in 1937 there you go yep so we're real close on that one i can't tell yep, you the no, network right. anything yep. yet but it's looking really good, yeah, good. Uh, the next one is a tv series that would um, address the opioid heroin and fentanyl issues in the united states and we actually, um, DEA is on board with us to work on that, so we're, we're working on a network now for that one. The third one is, um, the I just drew a blank. Circle, the, uh, the third, okay, so we were in New York City a couple of weeks ago meeting with our talent agency and discussing one program, and, the, and these two producers said, well, do you have any other ideas? Well, a couple of years ago, Harvey and I were working with a guy in Houston and a guy in Mexico, and they introduced us to two Mexican police officers who were in charge of the anti-kidnapping units down there. And these guys are, they looked really young. I mean, they, yeah. I thought they were in their 20s, but they're older than that. Phenomenally successful in recovering kidnapped victims down there. And, uh, and you know, typically there's a gun battle and people get killed. And, and the producers are like, could we film that? I'm like, sure, they'll, they'll let you film it. You know, and they're, oh, that's an instant hit. That's an instant hit. So they're trying to, to get that. Okay. And there's one other program. I can't think what it is right now. Opioids, yeah. Opioids. Goodness me. I'm just, okay. oh, the chuckle on my face is because nah, I've yeah. just had a DEA, an ex-DEA agent talking to me about his talent agent <laughs> and, <laughs> and, a, and a cop car, but that's all good. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So final question for you, and it's the question we always ask is, it's your day of reckoning, it's your eulogy, but for some strange reason, you're in the casket and you can actually hear what people are saying about you. What would you, um, Javi, I'm going to let you go first. What would you want people to say about Javi Pena on his day of reckoning and just about him in general? No, I think uh, we helped in uh, 
in changing uh, some of the, you know, bad, uh, I think we helped in bringing one of the worst criminals uh, to justice. Hmm. Steve? You know, recently, just last month, um, I mentioned I speak to high school seniors. Well, I've got invited to be the commencement speaker at a high school graduation where I live in Northern Virginia. And, and honestly, that was one of the most nerve-wracking things I've ever done in my life. I only had to speak for 10 minutes. But one of the things that I touched on was integrity. And um, when I was writing a speech, you know, you try to teach your children what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my kids said one to me one time, if it's something that they're thinking about doing that might be questionable, and they said, don't think Dad's going to go along with that. You know he's going to do what he thinks is right. That's one of the best compliments my kids could ever give me if they think I'm doing what's right. So if people believe that, I'm, I'm very comfortable with my life. Yep. As the old saying goes, take the high road because if you don't, it'll take you. Yes, so, exactly. And on yeah. that, gentlemen, thank you very okay. much. It's been an absolute privilege thank and pleasure. Thank you for uh, Your answers have just been staggering. I'm sure there'll be more. Where do we follow you on your social media uh, if we want to see where in the world you are or what you're up to? Go to our website, it's www.deanarcos.com. Um, we got, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Vimeo, YouTube. I didn't even know what that stuff was about he a year ago. He is the social media queen. <laughs> <idea. You're laughs> yeah, right. yeah, 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 exactly yeah. Right. I didn't know what that stuff was. Thanks, Jenna. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Thank Brian. You. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.